Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Hello, I'm Hannah, this is Kelty, Hello. we're upbringing, we're here for our weekly live Q&A. Yeah. Baby. What are we talking about this week? Oh gosh. The usual. How to show up and grow up with our sensitive and strong-willed kids, how to interact with their challenging behaviors and big feelings in a way that's going to parent for what we call sanity and social change, getting through those tough moments, feeling connected as a family, also raising human beings who know what consent is, know what respect is, know how to innovate through challenges with others in a nonviolent communicative way. Have some emotional intelligence reserves in there. That'd be nice. That'd be good. That'd be nice. Um, We're also briefly mentioning that our show up and grow up small group coaching is open for enrollment. We have two spots left. Um, First session is Monday the 9th um, at 11 a.m. So check Mm -hmm. out our link in bio if you're on Instagram, our website at upbringing.co for more information. Um, If you're wanting to connect with eight or so other parents and couples and families, with us around mm-hmm. all the big topics, like what, what the fuck to do, mm-hmm. hygiene, this all around resistance, hygiene resistance, mm-hmm. mealtime resistance, bedtime resistance, transition resistance, homework and screen time resistance, mm-hmm. um, sibling harmony resistance, right? Exactly. Alternate mm-hmm. caregiver resistance, um, in-law and parenting in the wild challenges, mm-hmm. all of the hardest stuff yeah. we see as such an opportunity bringing in all of the neuroscience research on nervous system, bringing in all of the research on nonviolent communication that people are doing with CEOs in organizational psychology. Mm-hmm. We're bringing that into the home and saying, how can we benefit from this? How can we change this institution that we have, this family, and model it in a way that is more democratic and less hierarchical, mm-hmm. right? More um, respect-based and consent-based rather than power over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just more light and more fun. That's the goal of these, these small mm-hmm. group sessions. What would you say, Pell? Oh, I, I just, I, I think that we've been really shocked by the power behind being in group with the other families. I was like, oh, let's get as many people in together mm-hmm. to connect. Yes. But to, to we listen only have to so us many hours, we can, we, we don't have that much time. Yeah. So let's do this. But the connections between all of these, these parents, these families has been su- such a surprising and, and wonderful aspect to the coaching like the people feeling okay i'm not alone okay your kid is like a demolition expert too okay your kid has so much anxiety and stress too okay your kid knows how to push your buttons like no one in the world too okay you're triggered by these things just like i am this it feels so good knowing 
that we're not alone and operating in group in these small sessions, four sessions through the month of May, just two hour calls, four times, um, to connect, build skills, show up and grow up alongside our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, the offer. I love that you point towards the fact that we can be learning all of this stuff to bring into our home, into our family, into our children's lives and into our greater culture outside of that. We had a sticker comment this, um, earlier today, someone saying my biggest challenge right now is just the challenging behaviors and how they tank the mood of our house, low mood from everything that our kids are doing. And I think that that's one thing that like we hugely tackle in these um, show up and grow up sessions is saying as parents, we set the mood, right? Our beliefs and our lens, looking at these challenging behaviors and these, and these big feelings that our kids are experiencing naturally, normally, necessarily is everything. The way that we look at everything, the way that we step in, the way that we operate, the way that we open up the relationship and upend a lot of these beliefs is the beginning of, of so much goodness. Mm-hmm. That's the, mm-hmm. and that's the framework that we approach all of the small group sessions, just like we kind of do here, but mm-hmm. in a more kind of intimate mm-hmm. focused way in the small group coaching sessions mm-hmm. is saying, what's our belief? And can we take that conventional mm-hmm. belief, that belief that's very unhelpful, that's very fear-based, and can we flip it based on the science, based on the research, based on all of that stuff that's more productive, right? Mm-hmm. Can we flip that belief? Then can we reapproach our role in those situations, mm-hmm. less as a dictator, a policeman, mm-hmm. a hall monitor, um, judge, a jury, pain, a pain in the butt that doesn't <laughs> feel good for us. Yeah. Can we flip that into sensitive support staff? What does that look like? And then we get to discuss, oh my God, what is the impact of this? Mm-hmm. The beautiful, exciting impact of believing something different about our kids' feelings and behaviors, mm-hmm. showing up a different way in the moment, the best we can with those feelings and behaviors. Mm-hmm. What is the impact on our child in what they believe and understand about themselves? What is the impact on our relationship? Mm-hmm. They understand between people, how you use power in relationship with another person, how you perspective take or don't perspective take, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, honestly, too, yeah. their, the, the impact of their beliefs about themselves. Yeah. What makes them worthy? What makes them belong? What makes them wonderful? What do they deserve? What are their rights? Mm-hmm. Right? Everything we do has an impact on how they view their, uh, what their lens is, what their beliefs are about themselves and what they deserve. Right. And so much about this too is, and what we want to talk about here, if you're listening, um, uh, right now on Instagram, chime in, what's going on for you? What are those big feelings and challenging behaviors that are tricky and feeling tricky where you're like, God, I want to honor that resistance. And it is so fucking hard. Mm-hmm. How do I show up in this moment or this belief I have that they, they're not going to learn mm-hmm. or they're not going to do this, or they're going to become an entitled asshole. Yeah. Let's unpack that. Bring that in right now. Let us know what those things are. Um, and I've totally lost my train of thought, but um, oh, I think we we're just on the impact of that mm-hmm. idea. Oh, but what I was going to say was this, this isn't like about how to fine tune your perfect parenting or feel like <laughs> shit as a parent about what you've done already. And that's what this I love. It's not about the, the shame club. No, it's <laughs> not. No, it's not. It's the show up and grow up club where yeah. we're all accountable. We all have the power and privilege. We all have really good intentions. And there are certain things that we just didn't know, or we haven't explored yet or thought about or re kind of fine tune. I love that you talk about the fact that we just didn't know. Yeah. And I think like literally everyone I know doesn't know this stuff yeah. because parents weren't educated. Parents haven't been, not. been given the tools, yeah. right? We've been, we've been operating on a lot of this unconscious um, conditioning, right? The, the triggers and traumas of our past, the cultural stuff that we see every and day in and other institutions, not only oh, do sure. we as parents not know these things about mm-hmm. kids' nervous systems and 
how normal, natural, and necessary their behaviors are, what a diverse spectrum of all of those things kids bring to the table, mm-hmm. right? Rather than that conformist of like, obey, do a, be obedient. Mm-hmm. Every little child is the same, mm-hmm. right? But also teachers don't know these things. They're not trained. Pediatricians don't know these things. Mm-hmm. They're not trained. Most of the people who know these things about unique things are, are, are um, child development experts. Mm-hmm. They're occupational therapists. Mm-hmm. And they're very small niches that are not accessible to the general public, in, mm-hmm. and especially those people mm-hmm. who are raising kids right now. And so that's what we're trying to do. What so many other amazing folks out there are trying to do is to take that research and that information and bring it down to earth and say, this is what we can be doing day to day with our kids mm-hmm. in a fail forward kind of way and a progress over perfection kind of way. Mm-hmm. And to really tackle those myths. Okay. Yeah. We thought kids learn this way. Not. Okay. Exactly. We thought yeah. that, that this practice with our children to get them to be a good human or to get them to fucking brush their teeth or to get them to whatever is the best way, the healthiest way, the quickest way, whatever it is, and is aligned to our values. And it's not. And I think it's so much of what we work on in the show up and grow up groups is yes, on the ground, in the moment, how can we be handling these things, but also up in the air in this bird's eye view, how can we be tackling those big beliefs and saying, research says, actually, this is how kids learn best. Research says, actually, this is how kids perform best. Research says, actually, this is how kids operate in relationship. Mm-hmm. like optimally mm-hmm. right and none of us should have known that no. so there's no shame there's no blame on our kids mm-hmm. on ourselves we're all just here like you said Kelty, to show up and grow up <laughs> love it so type in what's going on with you challenging behaviors big feelings we'd love to connect about it yeah. also go to our website go to show notes go to the caption in this live if you're watching it later check out that show up and grow up small group coaching um enrollment ends at the end of the week first right. session is may 9th yeah someone said when my kid doesn't listen the first five times I ask, then I get upset and they say, you don't have to get mad at me. Oh, Aww. forehead slap. Yeah. Yes. We've all I been can there. so relate to that. Absolutely. We don't mm-hmm. know how old this child is. We don't know mm-hmm. what it is that the five times you're asking for something, but it sounds mm-hmm. very familiar <laughs> to what we've experienced personally, what the folks like, we work with. Please go wash your hands. Please go wash your hands. Or it, it's time to go. It's time to go. Or mm-hmm. put away the toys, put away the toys. Right. A lot of these things mm-hmm. that we bid our kids to do have to do with transitions and transitions have um, historically been the first uh, session we have mm-hmm. in our small group coaching where we talk about transitions. They are the bane of my fucking existence. This is so mm-hmm. hard. How then do I get breakfast, right? right? Um, school to home, park to grandma's, um, tub to PJs to bed, house to car seat. Oh yeah. Right. All of those things are so tricky. Right. And I think that, um, when you say that the first five times, um, you ask something, mm-hmm. you know, it, understandably we get really upset. I get really triggered. I think I have a lot of times maybe where I was asking my parents something as a child or mm-hmm. where we all have those experiences where we had a need and we're being, someone's ignoring us. Or we're feeling They're unheard. discounting that need and we're feeling unheard and unseen. And that can make us feel very uncomfortable. But again, so I think so much about this is tuning into ourselves and our, our discomfort as parents and being like, why does this bother me so much? How's this, mm-hmm. what's going on here? And then it's also putting our lenses on our kids and saying, wait a second, this isn't the mom show. This isn't the parent show. What is my child experiencing? Mm-hmm. And what they're showing me is completely developmentally appropriate. Why aren't they quote unquote listening to me? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And I think so much is remembering. I don't know how old your child is, 
There but is no developmentally appropriate age where they should listen on the first time doing there it. There isn't. There's no age. I asked my husband these five <laughs> times to do things too, and he struggles sometimes, oh, right? Sure. I think so much about it is saying, if our approach isn't resonating with our child to build collaboration or consent on the first time or whatever it is the first time, then the problem isn't with them. The problem is with our approach mm -hmm. and not problem. Like we should feel like shit about it, but mm -hmm. problem where we can get curious and say, how can I reapproach this? Why aren't they able to uh, move with me and listen to me basically, right? Is it because I'm yelling it across the room. Hello. Hello. Is it because I'm nagging in a way? That's, that's maybe increasing. amping up the pressure, right? Is, is it because it, they're focused on something and they're wanting, they have that mm -hmm. flow? Is it because they're feeling like we pop their bubble and we're kind of demanding or controlling yeah. in a certain is way? Is it because the next thing that they have to do is something they're not that thrilled about? Mm -hmm. Is it because they're feeling a sense of, like you sort of alluded to Hannah, yeah. control or agenda that they didn't choose on their own? Mm -hmm. All of these things, and again, that resistance, which our kids' resistance can be a, a, a bold no, and our kids' resistance can also be a more subtle, la, 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 not mm -hmm. listening, right? Depending on our child, depending on the moment, depending on the demand. Mm -hmm. But all of it's good. And it, like it, like you said, Kelty, it, it asks us to get curious about why are they struggling? Mm -hmm. And I think so much about it, what we, we tend to drill down with folks is usually that kids need more than just words and demands mm -hmm. um, to do something. They need context, they need information, they need connection, they need collaboration, agency. they need agency, they need so many other things, which when we think about it, that's what we need too. Think about it if we were at a job or we were at home and our partner or our boss or someone mm -hmm. else is just like, go do that. It's time to do that. It's time to do that. And you're like, I, I didn't sign on to do any of that. Why are you, wait, I'm still working on this mm -hmm. thing. When you think about it from a respect based, um, a practical personal place, you're like, that is totally ridiculous. The demands and mm -hmm. expectations I put on my child when I'm on my parental timeline, instead of thinking about what their personal experience is, yeah. what's their mm -hmm. um, experience of the world, what are their needs at play here? I love that so much of what we talk about in our small group coaching. So yeah. check our website because we've only got a few days left to enroll. If you're struggling through these transitions or getting kids to quote, pay attention and listen. Yeah is talking about those three periods, basically through the resist approach conversation before, during, and after. Mm -hmm. So preparation, presence in the moment, and post-processing after. So if our kids aren't listening to us and we're noticing it's around this one activity or if it's around this time of day or whatever it is, how can we front end that? How can we say, so after you're done playing, what are we gonna do next? And we check in early. Let's plant some seeds for not, what's happening. And not a warning, like not five I'm minutes. A fucking timer yeah. and it's going to go off. And so will you, but really saying what's our plan. And I'm bringing you in on this because I have the more power and privilege. And I want you to be a, an active person in your own life and know what's happening. Right. right. And, and kind of being part of co-creating that plan, even if we're like we're still kind of, on charge, know, top, still of, top of the agenda a little bit. Yeah. We're paying them the respect of saying you matter, your mm -hmm. needs matter, your agenda matters and your awareness. It's the power to know or the mm -hmm. freedom to know which yeah. we talk about in our freedoms model. Absolutely. And, and how else can we be checking in a little bit when they're working for like, Oh my God, we're going to have to go in like five minutes instead of saying in five minutes, we're going to go. How can we come in and say, Hey, what's going on? So you're working on this thing. Okay. So I was thinking, Hey, can you look at me really quick, super quick connect. 
So I was thinking like five minutes and we get in the car. Does that sound all right? Maybe six minutes. What do you need? Mm -hmm. So we're checking in respectfully about what it is instead of yelling it from across the room. Right. Right. That's all like, there's so much more work even that can be going on in, in the preparation, preparation stage the night before when we're in bed before they get out of bed, we could be regulating their nervous system to so, so they much. can more easily get into the car or sit at the table or mm -hmm. put the pants on whatever it right. is. And then in the moment, in the present stage, if we can, how can we again, kind of invest in what they're working on. If they're, if it's a moment where we're worried, they might not be paying attention or listening or struggling to transition. How can we get in there and sit for a minute and watch them play? Tell them to show us what they're doing. Hey, show me what you're doing. <clears throat> this is so interesting. Oh, cool. Instead of being like, Hey, stop, no more. Right. How can we invest we would a never little bit treat of time? another adult that way ever. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we could just say, so I'm wondering, well, when, when are you going to feel like you want to stop? Two minutes, five minutes. My concern is, I know you like to be to school on time, but my concern is grandma's expecting us at this time. So what can we do? Right? We're also planting seeds for what's next. When we get in the car, what's the song you want to hear? I'm going to cue it up on my phone while you're finishing because you got your thing. You're going to do your stuff. We're planting seeds. Right. We're building bridges. We're helping their prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex grow mm -hmm. because our kids really struggle with transitions because they can't picture what's going to happen next. So if they can't picture it and feel safe about it and feel like they chose it in some way, they're going to say, nope, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. La 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 la, not listening, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so much about this. I mean, we could talk about this the entire hour that we're on this live <laughs> Q&A talking about transitions, but that's what we unpack for two hours in the first, uh, visit actually one hour. Cause we do coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think after that, let's say we work through it and we have to help their bodies towards the car or bedtime is blown and it just fucking sucked. It was terrible. Or we ended up getting triggered and yelling or forcing them or doing something terrible. Got the post-processing, whether we handled it in a way that we feel really proud of, or we handled it in a way that, that we didn't. And that's okay too. Yeah. We can connect with our mm -hmm. kid. Oh, noticed transitions to the dining table have been hard last night, particularly, or going to grandma's as well. It's a little weird. What do you think about it? You know, when I, when I say it's time to, you know, stop playing or we check in about time and then you end up running away or whatever it is, and we bring out everything, not in a grill back, like, so this behavior has to change, or I need you to make a different choice next time. But Here's my need. Here's what I think your need is. What, what do you think? Can we connect about this? This could be a two year old. This could be a 12 year old, right? The person said, this is blowing my mind. I feel how useful this all is. I just feel like I don't always have the bandwidth to respond with so much forethought and empathy. We totally get that. But something we talk about in the small group coaching is saying we can't always be there, right? We can't always think ahead of time about what our kid needs and how to set them and us up for collaborative success. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Then we have our presence in the moment. We do our best to show up with curiosity, innovation, creativity, connection, humor, and then humor. Maybe mm -hmm. we don't do that either. Okay. Then we have the processing afterward mm -hmm. where we always have at the end of the day or the drive home or whatever it is to say, I'm so sorry that was tricky. Wow, you needed this. I needed this. God, well, what can we do next time? Mm -hmm. And the processing for ourselves uniquely too, with a partner, with a caregiver, with a list, uh, listening partner in our mm -hmm. journal. What can I do next time to again, prepare better next time for this thing? Most of these transitions and most of these kids not listening to us mm -hmm. are very well-known patterns. They mm -hmm. don't just happen the one random time. That wouldn't be a problem for most of us. It's mm -hmm. because it happens over and fucking over that mm -hmm. makes it so hard, right? And then something we also talk about and we really emphasize in these small group coaching groups is what an investment this is. 
God, what we've just talked about, you're like, that takes fucking forever. That is terrible. That's so Who much has the time for that? Uh-huh. Or like you said, the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And we don't always. But mm-hmm. so much as we'd say, look at all of these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Not to get it perfect or do it right, quote unquote, but to lean in and connect and show up in these moments to grow up alongside our kids. Yeah. And whether we're you able know. to lean in and show up in a way that we want to or not, it's all practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so great about the show up and grow up small group coaching is saying everything's practice. Mm-hmm. Whether we're nailing it or fucking up, it doesn't matter. We're practicing, mm-hmm. right? It's all welcome. It's all progress. It's all progress. And it's an investment in, in that yeah. they get to learn and get to see us practice a nonviolent mm-hmm. communication protocol with them and a relationship that we want to model mm-hmm. of listening, of thought of messing up and then repairing afterward. Mm-hmm. All of yeah. it's really good. It's really interesting too, seeing the people in the group and a, a lot of the, the folks that struggle the most are the ones of older kids who hadn't resisted. Yeah. Who hadn't struggled, who have a 10 to 14 year old who all of a sudden they're coming into conflict with, and they've got a lot of patterns set up where their kid used to listen. They said it once and they did it. And now, oh my gosh, and they can't make them. And I think that, that that's a really interesting lens for a lot of those uh, folks with younger kids to see is this is oh. such an investment right now. This could be about a spoon. This could be about shoes. This could be about grandmas. And we're getting to experiment and practice being in relationship in a respectful dynamic that says your needs matter just as much as mine. And let's, this is the, the dynamic and the culture of our home now and in the future is let's have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Let's ask these questions. Let's listen and look for mm-hmm. one another's needs and identify those. Yeah. This is the patterning we're setting up as early as possible. And it's never too late. Yeah, right? Ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Someone else says my 23 month old daughter loves babies smaller than her, but has been oscillating between trying to hug them and then smacking or pushing them makes hanging with friends with babes stressful. How to address a two-year-old. Oh, absolutely. It's like, I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to punch you. Right? Yeah. That I love that. That's so natural, normal, necessary, perfect development for a two-year-old or most kids. Honestly, yeah. sometimes I love my siblings. Sometimes I'm like uh, three <clears throat> stooges try to poke their eyes out. Love my mom, hate my mom mm-hmm. or hit my mom, kiss my dog, yeah. hit my dog. I think a lot of us are like, Oh my God, they're like a sociopath. Like, are they a kind child or are they a bully? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? And all of it is valuable. All of it's good. It's all normal. And I think that when our kids show us those behaviors, hitting, biting, throwing, attacking, breaking, whatever it is, if it's a, about a cat or a baby sibling or a baby neighbor or a, a sharp object or a breakable object or anything, our kids are showing us what they're able to handle right now. And I think like you pointed to earlier, Hannah, that at a certain age, maybe around two, when our kids start showing us that they understand what we're saying, we say something and they go throw the tissue in the trash. And we're like, Oh my God, they get it. Oh my God. <laughs> we start thinking our words are enough. Mm-hmm. We have to say, be gentle with the baby. And we expect them to be like, okay. Cause sometimes they are, but sometimes they aren't. And I think that when our words aren't enough, that's our ding ding that we need to be there a little bit closer, right? And so much about remembering our kids' behaviors are all basically coming from two places, either trying to experiment to learn or trying to express, right? To feel safe in their bodies, Mm -hmm. right? And so this two-year-old might just be experimenting with this baby 
Mm -hmm. or might be just expressing stress that they're Mm -hmm. holding in their body and trying to feel regulated in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so all of it is totally, like you said, Kelty, normal, natural, and necessary. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying what's good, what's bad, and trying to control them, Mm -hmm. um, only gentle demands, hitting is mean, correction, Mm -hmm. what we want to do is support them through connection and through our presence, Mm -hmm. which is not just telling them, but showing them, stopping the hand, being Mm -hmm. close, inhibiting the impulses because they can't be responsible for inhibiting their own impulses until they're like 30. I think there was was a study done that asked parents, by what age do you think that kids should have impulse control? Like you say something and they do it. You say, don't run into the road and they don't run into the road. You say, be gentle with the baby and they're gentle with the baby. And I think the average parent said between two and four and a half. And it's literally like, what teens yeah it's like so much older than that way older older. and it depends it's a vast spectrum as well that the study didn't even accommodate neurodiversity neurodiversity of relationship and trust of patterning that you created of influence you have over your child versus control yeah it's wild but again if our kids are showing us that they can't uh control their impulses can't can't right then we have to be there as their proxy, right? Mm-hmm. If they can't stay calm, we're their proxy to help calm them. Mm-hmm. If they can't feed themselves, we're their proxy to feed them. If mm-hmm. they can't read for themselves yet, we're their proxy to read mm-hmm. for them. If they can't help themselves fall asleep yet, then mm-hmm. we're their proxy to help them find yeah. sleep. So it's such a hard thing yeah. though. I feel like up to about two, a lot of parents mm-hmm. are like, yes, I understand they're a baby. They don't know shit. Of course. Babies are dumb. Babies are so dumb. (laughs) The onion article. I love it. Babies are so dumb. Like they'll pick up something, a sharp thing and be like, I'm going to eat this. And we're like, oh no, they're just a baby. But at about two years old, we think they should start learning. They can't be this type of person. They can't. Uh, be showing me these types of behaviors. We get to start getting those behavior goggles on and saying, this can't be happening. And then they get a little older and we're Mm -hmm. like, they've done it once before. A good thing. A good thing. So they should do it consistently Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Perfectly. And that's also not how kids learn. That's not Mm -hmm. how humans develop is consistently and perfectly since the first time they did it. Right. Mm -hmm. Our kids, babies don't walk all of a sudden they crawl and then they crawl and then they walk and they They don't read all of a sudden. Right. They don't they talk don't all of a sudden, sudden. Yeah. feed themselves all of a sudden. Everything is a stuttering, um, mm-hmm. ebbing and flowing process, except yeah. behaviors. We don't look at the same way. Yeah. Con- yeah traditionally. Yeah. yeah. The person said, totally. It feels like an expression of her excitement or enthusiasm rather than malice, whether it's malice or whether it's an expression of her excitement and enthusiasm. That's the other thing that our culture says, well, if it was an accident, or they are overexcited. That's okay. If there's an excuse, but if they did it on purpose, no. And we like to say it's all the same baby. It's all the same. And I think that you mentioning this right now, you said it's hard to anticipate. You've got the seeds of anticipation planted. You just saying, I'm noticing this thing is a pattern. That's our ding, ding. Mm -hmm. Gotta be close. My kids hitting babies right now. Gotta be close. My kids going for the knives right now. Gotta be close. When my kids just regulated, they run for the road. Or they right? spit. Or they or hit. they hit me. Or they or topple things. Right. Or they run. Right. Like or they say something like heart piercing and mean to me or their right. sibling. What is my child's stress mm-hmm. language? Which can come from overexcitement, which mm-hmm. can come from depletion, mm-hmm. which can come from boredom, mm-hmm. which can come from general nervous system, I was underwhelm say, or overwhelm. Right? Talking about our small group coaching group, I know everyone's like, shut the fuck up. Like, 
I, I just come for the free live, but like, but really we've got a couple days left to sign up for the small group coaching for the month of May, starting May 9th. But Hannah talk briefly about nervous systems and how this is like the key to so many parenting struggles. And, and even like one or to two weeks in parents in this four week group are saying, everything is different now. I know that my child has a nervous system and I never knew about that. I think so much about our, so our, I mean, our culture and our institutions in general don't look at, at personal needs. They don't look at nervous systems. They don't look at humans as diverse and um, really unique beings that have respond basically and behave in accordance with how their bodies are interpreting and sensing the environmental stimuli and all the things in the world around them. And so when people uh, freak out, when people run away, when people hit or are aggressive, it's not because they're terrible. It's, it's partially because they don't have skills, but deeper, the root cause of it is that their bodies feel unsafe. And so they fight, flight, freeze, freak out, do those types of things, right? They have what Mona Delahook calls a platform or what Dan Siegel calls a window of tolerance that is a little more unsteady or a little bit smaller than maybe some other people do. And so babies, kids, toddlers, they all have a smaller, more unsteady way of handling the demands of their environment and the routine in the world. And they got, get thrown off kilter a lot faster. And so something that comes to us in our small group coaching is parents understandably, like we all do, believing my child is behaving a certain way because there's something wrong with them, because there's something wrong with me. What do I have to do here? This is terrible what's happening. And so much about the work we do is giving parents permission to accept where their kids are and what they're doing because it's actually very normal, natural, necessary. As we mentioned, those are like the three ends that we lean on really hard. And then look at, instead of looking at the behaviors and focusing on those, which is a very behaviorist kind of uh, mindset that's really pervasive in our culture and very unproductive, is saying, can we actually look at those behaviors as symptoms of underlying needs and nervous system um, information that they're mm -hmm. communicating? So all of the behaviors that our kids are doing are not about them or about you, right? They're not good or bad. They're just really helpful information on your child's development, on your child's needs, on your, on your environment and routine that you're creating around those and on the approach that you're currently affording your child. And then we think about what can we do? Okay. If we, these behaviors are problematic to us or other people or mm -hmm. challenging for any reason, mm -hmm. we can't just be like, yay, they can just do whatever. Mm -hmm. There's certain areas where we're like, okay, that's a little problematic then how can we approach these a little bit differently that honors and respects their nervous system mm -hmm. and honors and respects our nervous system and says society, generally speaking, you could go fuck yourself for a little bit <laughs> while we work on understanding ourselves and our children and getting a little bit closer in how to work together. Mm -hmm. And that also <clears throat> does help with, as we move into society, as our kids move into society with saying, how can we know ourselves, know others, and get along, right? Totally. I love that. Thanks for that riff. But I also love this, that you're pointing to this conversation that we have so often between our primary goal as parents. Yeah. Is it socialization? Because I think, yes, at two years old, especially this last person that wrote in saying, I just need to get my kid to be a nice person. I just get, need to get my kid to be respectful, cooperative, collaborative, compassionate, and that is really culturally our number one goal in parenting, right? And I think so much of what we're working on right now, and this is not just privileged white shit, is saying instead of our goal being socialization, our primary goal is now self-awareness with our kids because 
If we can focus on our kids' self-awareness, their inner wisdom and authority, that attunement to their needs, to their nervous system, to, um, yes, their diversity of needs between them and another person, we're going to get towards that socialization in a legitimate, authentic way that's bundled like really well. That's not a great description, but (laughs) it's bundled, everybody. (laughs) Like it's connected though. It's not just be like this, do this. Don't do this, this binary, this is good. And this is bad. It's saying, what are you needing? What's going on with you? And it's really like teaching our kids this huge part of the conversation that's left out by saying, this is good. And this is bad enough. The end of the conversation. It's really what like parenting from the inside out, Mm -hmm. right? It's really deciding from the inside. It's like, it would be like giving a person a lab coat and a stethoscope Mm -hmm. and putting them in a hospital and saying, just be a doctor, just Mm -hmm. do this or don't do this. And they're like, what, what the fuck do I do? Why am I doing this? I don't know any of the things. And instead of saying, don't worry about the coat. Don't worry about the stethoscope. You don't belong in a hospital yet. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring you here and help you understand human physiology, Mm -hmm. right? All of these Mm -hmm. other things and get the foundation of your knowledge of self and people and what you're going to do. And then we put you out into the wild and you do your thing. I like that you're talking about subject matter. The subject matter for our kids is in here. Self itself is the subject matter. It's human, not the external gaze and their performance to that external gaze. That is not the subject matter. That's secondary. That's secondary. And it can only really be effective. We can only be effective in society when we know ourselves first, when we know ourselves, we can know others. When we help ourselves, we can help others. When we meet our own basic needs and they're met, we can meet others. Right. And this is something that's so tricky, especially as like cis, straight, able-bodied white women, because a lot of people are like, that sounds like, like super privileged, um, like permissive parenting being like, I'm just going to focus on what my kids needing. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to focus on them. So they're, they get self-centered and entitled. Right. And I think that that we've been so buoyed by a lot of BIPOC parenting resources who are saying this exact same thing, which is saying we don't need to be operating through power over external gaze, motivated conventional methods of raising a human being. We can raise true humans by respecting their freedom, by respecting their voice, by respecting their needs and by living and operating in partnership with them. Mm-hmm. Even if we're their parent, we've got responsibilities and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Love that. Someone said, how do you give space for your child to be dysregulated in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. And I think, oh my gosh, so much. I mean, we were just talking about Mona Delahook, who we just love mm-hmm. so much. She just wrote a book called Brain Body Parenting. We'll put it in our show notes mm-hmm. and everything. And her last and book was Beyond Behaviors. Beyond Behaviors, yeah. more for clinicians, but brain body parenting is for parents, for caregivers, for anybody. And she talks about that, like we mentioned, that window of tolerance, that plat, based on the fact that they our toddlers had the same thing. They had a little meltdown and we would be close. We'd be nearby. We're saying it's okay. We just texted internet, internet SOS <laughs> to risk of getting interrupted again. I love that you're pointing to the fact that as babies cried and needed us and little toddlers wigged out and fell on the floor and did crazy shit. And we understood it our older kids still need us to co-regulate, right? There is no age that says at a certain point to develop resilience and emotional intelligence, they got to pull it together on their own. They got to figure it out. They've got to calm themselves down. That is bullshit. That said, a lot of kids might show us or toddlers or kids might show us 
that they need some space and they want space from us when they're mm -hmm. not feeling safe in their bodies and they're uncomfortable, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're anxious, and they need a little bit of space. And I think that might be shown by screaming, that might be hitting, that might be saying, go away, that might be running away, mm -hmm. right? And so, so much about approaching our kids' dysregulation in a healthy way is noticing what is our kid telling us and mm -hmm. what is their need in this moment. They're dysregulated, so they're not feeling safe in their bodies. Their nervous system isn't in a place of calm or what Mona Delahook calls a green pathway, mm -hmm. right? Or what Dan Siegel calls like in the green or whatever mm -hmm. it is. They're not in a balanced, calm, regulated state. And so they're needing support or they're needing something. And so some kids might need to be alone. Some kids might need to be somewhere dark or quiet. Some kids might need to feel proximity and closeness to us. Mm -hmm. Some might need to feel pressure. Right? Some and might want to hit and punch and spit. Some right. might want us close, but not too close. Some might want us to walk away and then say, no, come back. And then they come, we come close and they say, go away. <laughs> and that's what they're needing. And is that push pull? They're figuring it out. So the healthy way we can approach our kids is in relationship and noticing what they're telling us in a responsive way. It's how can we participate? It's all feedback. How can we participate <laughs> based on their feedback is the question. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have those answers. Only you have those answers knowing your child and knowing yourself. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea of being being the little Sherlock with yeah. our kids, either in that moment, I'm noticing, I'm noticing, or maybe sometimes I'm wigging out and it's going to hell. And later I say, were you needing me nearby? Or did you want me farther away? Did you want a hug? Did you want to just hit things? Can we find anything for you to hit? Think about it when we're freaking mm -hmm. out on our partners. Like, do we want our partner to be like, oh my God, get away from me, or <laughs> I'm going to give you some space right now, or just literally roll their eyes and walk, walk away. away. <laughs> we want our partner to be like, you're upset. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. And then like, how can I support you? And maybe they're around. And then we say, get out of here. And they're like, mm -hmm. okay, I'll be in the other room. I'm here. I love you. I'm so sorry this is happening. I'm on call. I'm on call. Right. Uh -huh. So a responsive partner is what we all want. Most of us want. And that's the, the parent our child is wanting. Responsive parent too. instead of a reactive parent, which we yeah. are so often. And that's okay. And those moments when we're not able to be responsive and mm -hmm. we're triggered and feel very uncomfortable by our kids' big feelings, mm -hmm. it's probably better to give them that space and take that space for us, mm -hmm. not for them, but so much for us so that we mm -hmm. don't add to the stress that they're already experiencing in their dysregulation. Yeah. Right? That's one big thing we talk about in our small a personal coaching, timeout, right? Yeah. Is, um, it, which we've got a few spots left starting uh, Monday, May yeah. 9th is how can we be taking those personal timeouts, like you said, Hannah, or finding those ways to not add to the negative feelings, not add to the conflict, not add to those um, dysregulated vibes? Mm -hmm. How can we be working on building our awareness to step away when we need to, mm -hmm. or to say, I love you so much, I'm struggling to support you, I'll be right back, mm -hmm. right? How again, saying right. that we're in charge of these situations with our kids, mm -hmm. just as we were when they were a baby. We're still the one in charge. We're still the accountable party. Mm -hmm. they, it is not our kid's job to get calm for our comfort. It is not our kid's job to stop hurting or throwing or doing those things to make us feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It is our job to see that their needs when they're dysregulated because they have a fraction of the brain and a fraction of the skills. Mm -hmm. And they're showing us that they need us with their behaviors, just like they did when they cried when they were babies, because that's all they could do to communicate. I need help. Mm -hmm. right? I love that you brought up. I need help because it's a phrase that comes up so often in small group coaching is saying any behavior that's, that's a challenging one. That's where, where our kid is obviously dysregulated, angry, mm -hmm. 
upset, struggling, is saying, I need help just that same way that they did when they were little infants. No kid or baby or toddler or human in general, adult, likes to feel crappy and likes to push people's buttons and hurt people and act out. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Someone said, do you take away a five-year-old play dates if they act mad or entitled when they're not invited to other play dates? Basically, when they are jealous that they aren't going to invited, going to be invited to every play date. Mm. Oh yeah, dude, we had a DM from you too that we wanted to bring oh, up. Oh, I didn't. I don't know about that one, but oh my gosh, I think gosh, jealousy and whining and anger mm. about unfairness can be really triggering to us as parents, right? Very mm. often because our own childhood expressions of saying that's not fair, mm. I want that was shut down by our parents saying, mm-hmm. stop acting that way. You don't deserve that. This is how the real world this works. This is not a big deal. Just be nice. Just go easy. Right. If you can't handle this disappointment, then you don't get any of we these other play dates. We can't do play dates if this is how it's mm-hmm. going to go. Right. And it's so understandable for yeah. us to feel uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But when we remember that our kids' jealousy and disappointment mm-hmm. are higher level signs of a deeper underneath uh, of like, sadness, a feeling of loss, a feeling of insecurity, which we can all relate to and which is very natural Mm -hmm. for everyone to feel. We remember our responsibility isn't to punish them for feeling a certain way or convince them out of feeling a certain way or change their feelings. Mm -hmm. It's to say your feelings are natural, normal, necessary. It's about a play date that's Mm -hmm. ridiculous right now, Mm -hmm. but it's very real to you in your life. And I want to condition you child to -hmm. feel like your feelings are okay. Your feelings are normal. And to feel safe in your feelings so that you can actually get to the other side of mm-hmm. them as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, mm-hmm. and not feel a sense of anxiety because you don't know them or don't know how to deal with mm-hmm. them, a sense of shame for having them, mm-hmm. which a lot of us have shame for our feelings because our parents said they were wrong, mm-hmm. right? Or right. a sense of avoidance around those where we just stuff them down or we eat or we drink or we mm-hmm. spend or we do other things mm-hmm. to avoid the feelings that we have. I love that you point to the fact that this is something we talk about in small group coaching too, is the belief stuff, but our role stuff and then the impact, but our role, like honestly, in moments of struggle with our kids, where they're shitting on a play date or they're um, hurting their sibling and uh, someone said pushing their siblings mad button or whatever Mm. it is, we honestly don't have to do anything. And this is something we talk about in group coaching, walking through the specific moments, except keep everyone physically safe, not through our words, but actually being there when we're mm-hmm. able and then creating a safe feeling environment for whatever they're going through for the learning. That's it. <clears throat> really? It's just yeah. saying you want to go to that play date and then you're Ugh. upset that you can't go to some, Oh, that's so hard that some you're invited to and some you're not end of job, literally just validating, acknowledging and supporting, creating a safe <clears throat> feeling around their disappointment, their anger, their frustration, their anxiety, their jealousy, any of those things. Yeah. I mean, again, think Mm -hmm. about how we would want to be treated as adults. Would we want to come home to our partner and say, oh my gosh, I didn't get invited to this after work mixer and I'm so pissed about it. And this is ridiculous. And why would they leave me out? This is terrible. Would we want our partner to say, well, if you can't be gracious about not getting invited to everything, you are invited then, to some things, then, <sighs> then you shouldn't even go to any of them. Gosh, they're being nice to invite you to some. Wow. Oh my gosh. Why are you freaking out about no, this? We want our partner to yeah. say, I'm so sorry. 
You want to be invited to all of them. Of course you feel entitled to that. Tell me more. Why did you want to go to this one? Let's explore this, this feeling in you. Let's help you look inside to what's bugging you. What's driving this feeling of jealousy, discomfort, Mm -hmm. angst, well, whatever it is, believing and knowing that connecting with our kids, for our partners, for ourselves in this way that honors the feelings that we're experiencing mm-hmm. isn't going to make us entitled and bratty and terrible. It's at, those things actually happen when we feel insecure, a skill, a lack of connection, yeah. a lack of awareness. When we connect and build awareness with our kids and with our partners, yeah. all of those feelings usually dissipate and acceptance is, is born from that mm-hmm. awareness. Yeah. It's just very counterintuitive. It's similar a lot. Someone says my six year old always pushes her nine year old brother's mad button, quote unquote. And then he gets angry and doesn't want to play with her all while I know she really wants his attention and love. How do I help? Her break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Such a great question. I feel like this is so tied in and saying, how can we, in our parental role, instead of trying to fix, to coerce, to puppeteer. manipulate, to puppeteer, I love that. How can we be that sensitive support staff that we talk so often about in our small group coaching groups with everyone's specific examples over and over and over? Mm-hmm. How can we be that sensitive support staff that says, I hear what you're saying. Oh, you didn't like that he did this, but you kind of wanted to play with him. It was kind of both. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes when he says this, it rubs you the wrong way. Here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing this and I'm saying this back to you. Is that right? And we can be neutral. We can be reflective, right? And we can't always be those things. <clears throat> Obviously it's fucking trigger city. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're like, I mean, no, your brother loves you or no, your friend is so nice or no, these play dates are inviting you and it's wonderful. Just be grateful that that's how we are in our, in our uh, more conditioned moments. Mm-hmm. But I think if we're, if we give it a little bit forth, a forethought when we're able, especially if this is a recurring theme, like the sibling interaction, mm-hmm. for example, how can we lean in with a little bit of curiosity and reflection? Right. And so much about a sense of safety and security. Yeah. And so much about that's in the moment. And then Mm -hmm. so much about that's also before or after the moment (laughs) where we can focus on our, on our siblings separately and Mm -hmm. say, Oh, sometimes you want to play with your brother. You want to connect and do all these things, but then you, you kind of push their button. You do that thing knowing that this is the only skill your six-year-old has to get her nine-year-old brother's attention. Mm -hmm. And so that ends up bothering him. And I'm wondering, I wonder sometimes he ends up, hitting you. Oh, that's not what you want. I guess he doesn't Mm. like it when you do that thing. But, Mm. but again, I'm honoring the impulse and the value that you're trying to bring to the table. I want to engage with this nine-year-old brother and thinking Mm. what would be another way that could maybe work to engage with Mm. him. I'm just going to open that up, mm. open it up. And that's maybe something you could model in the moment also, right? And say, I think she's wondering if she could play with this thing and you could model it in front of them. It sounds like she wants to play with you, but she's not quite sure how to share that. Do you want to play with her? And he's like, no, get her fucking out of here. And you're like, sounds like he's not wanting to play right now, but you're wanting to, and oh, this is hard. Oh, that's tricky. And then after you can connect with him and say, sometimes she wants to play with you and she's not quite sure how. And so Mm -hmm. then she pokes you and you don't like that. And then it starts the cycle. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could be, looking at her in that different way or offering her a thing mm-hmm. or just being really clear and ahead of time and setting your own boundary that you don't want to be playing right now. Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't have to come to you and be poking mm-hmm. to get that, that information that yeah. she needs. And I think too, as a parent, we can say, 
this always happens at five o'clock right before dinner. <laughs> so how can I be involving my daughter in dinner time, sous chef, food prep, whatever it is, get her out of the older kid's hair when she starts wanting to poke him to play. Right. Yeah. But I love that you bring up the fact that Hannah, we could be interacting with our kids in a sibling conflict outside the moment and with each of them, not yeah. saying you need to play with your sister or you need to treat your brother. No one right. has to do anything. We don't have to manipulate or coerce anything. We can just say, I've noticed this situation happen. What are you needing? What do you think your sister's needing? What are you needing? What are you thinking? Think your brother's needing. That's it. That's all we have to do. All is, the learning that needs to empathize happen. and perspective take. And empathize and perspective take over and over and over again. Right. And again, these challenges, these sibling conflicts mm -hmm. are not something that we want to put to bed and make perfect. It all said the break time. the cycle. We don't have to break we don't the cycle have to break the cycle. We no. just have to lean into the cycle and open it up to take that moment and expand. But the I think that everyone's like, I want harmony and yeah. I want it to, those conflicts to be short. And we're like, let's just expand it all and drag it all out that it's like it feels like the opposite of everything our instinct wants us to do which is to just like shut it down right there might Make be moments smaller. where we can't lean in before during or after with mm -hmm. our six and nine year old about their poking vicious cycle happening mm -hmm. and that's okay if the way they're treating each other and engaging in those moments is bothering us we can go in the other room mm -hmm. they can kind of struggle through it a little bit and we can always deal with it on the outsides of the moment, not Before, right in the moment. preparation and after and post-processing. Right. We don't have to be there in yeah. the moment if it's too uncomfortable for us or we, we're busy and we're making dinner and yeah. it's hard. But I love that you bring up the fact that in our small group coaching, we talk often about sibling challenges. I yeah. feel like at least 50% of every group is has sibling interactions going on and struggles going on. And I think that a lot of what we talk about is redefining that, that objective. Harmony is not the objective. And I think our culture tells us siblings got to love each other. Siblings got to get along. That shows that we're successful. We are nailing this parent thing. If our kids love each other all the time and it's not fucking true. That's not how relationships are built. I think yeah. those of us with sibling dynamics as parents are, are blessed in a way because cursed and blessed in a way because we get to practice. Our kids get to practice a relationship dynamic, a school, a friendship, a partner, uh, a teacher, a coworker, whatever it is earlier, needs. they get to practice needs conversations they get to practice <laughs> saying you're needing this and I'm needing this. What can we do? Right. I'm needing this and you're needing this. What can we do over and over and over and over? Yeah. If we're the ones saying that, yeah. not saying you guys have to go figure it out or you can't be mean or she can't be like this or you're a big sister or he's a little brother. Sho shoving all of that off the table and saying needs again, forgetting <laughs> the ultimate outcome that we yeah. want to be manufacturing ahead of time and mm -hmm. getting to the root cause, which is needs. Mm -hmm. They can't behave well if they don't know what their and others needs are. So we've got to start from the beginning, from the foundation and saying, mm -hmm. what are your needs? What are your needs? It's a lot of work at the beginning, but it fucking pays off yeah. and it's a, a critical skill that they're going to learn yeah. earlier rather than in their forties yeah. in like conflict resolution <laughs> courses or like, you know, I therapy. Know. but yeah. And I don't want to demean the, the feeling that it's, it's triggering and it's really hard. But yeah. I think a lot of the work we do in the small group coaching or private coaching is saying, how can we redefine our role and step outside the ring? Not as the judge, jury, hall monitor, like, um, police, but really step outside the ring and saying, there is no ring. This is just two humans struggling with their needs. 
and redefine the whole landscape of what sibling rivalry or sibling conflict can be to create some serious fucking skills in these people mm-hmm. when we're able. Love it. Someone says, my one-year-old throws a fit whenever I take something away from her. Is it okay when I say it's okay to be upset, but that mom needs this object at that moment? Not easy at that age. Sure. Oh, yeah. And a one-year-old, like, understandably, like, can you imagine mm-hmm. if you're just, like, doing something and literally your partner or she's a like, co-worker or someone else just takes it out of your hand? So I think yeah. so much about it is remembering, oh, my gosh, my child's response is critical information, not just in what they need, but also in my approach and how that's landing with them mm-hmm. and their nervous system and our relationship. And so I think so much about when the get approach. to that one-year mark is saying, oh, all of a sudden, it's not just me and my needs and I'm just, it's just the mom or dad or caregiver mm-hmm. show. But this little person is saying, wait a second, don't fucking do that. I'm getting a reaction. I'm needing something else. And Mm -hmm. so, so much about it is not saying I can't take things away from my one-year-old or Mm -hmm. I should never make them mad, but saying the way I go about it matters and it's setting up a pattern. I love that they're saying it's okay to be upset. Yeah. Right. That I need the object of the moment. Um, I think the first step in our resist approach is questioning. Why do you need that object? Why can't they have that object? And I think thinking ahead, mm-hmm. can I put that object away next time? So they're not tempted. Mm-hmm. Can I be like space proofing this? So I'm not having to constantly rip items out of their hands at the right. last minute that are then, dangerous. If it's not dangerous mm-hmm. and you just need it or want it, can you take the moment where you would normally just take it out of their hands with no conversation say, and say, Oh, you're holding this thing. Can I tell you something? Can oh, I tell you it's something? So cool. It's so cool. Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. This goes on the stove and I need it for the thing. Did you know that can this edge, you? can I show you <clears throat> this side of it? Do you feel that? It's a little bit, don't touch it too hard. It's a little bit sharp. And I'm just wondering, year old can understand this. <clears throat> if you hold this, it could cut your finger or your face. And so oh. much about these conversations we have with our one-year-olds mm-hmm. is saying, you, I, you can trust me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take things out of your hands with no conversation, with no respectful right? Dialogue dialogue Mm. or dynamic. I'm going to invest the time to tell you why, or to show you why after honoring your impulse to Mm. hold it, to do it, to do whatever to say, Oh my gosh, you're playing with that. Oh my gosh, you're holding that. Oh my gosh, you love that throwing it. Whatever. I tell you something about why I need that again. It's the needs conversation. Mm -hmm. You're needing this. I'm needing this. What can we do? Mm -hmm. And then when you ultimately have to set what we call a loving limit, which is the, um, summarize Mm -hmm. or the, is it a sync up? Yeah. <clears throat> of our resist approach. I'm like mixing them all up right now. Um, that's when maybe they have the feelings. Even if you've explained it, you've given them time to give it to you. And if it's of a take safety it out issue, you hand. have to yank it out. If it's not, then you could expand that moment. Right. Great. But at a certain point when you hold that loving yeah. moment, you say, you're still wanting to play with it, but I told you that it's a, it's a little unsafe or I'm needing it for this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to pull it out of your hands and they just wig out and they lose it. They didn't like it. That's yeah. totally fine. And we say, you wanted to hold it and we validate and say, I see you. I hear you. You didn't want me to take that. I'm so sorry. I had to grab that out of your hands without your consent. So we're acknowledging the fact that we broke consent in taking something in moving their body in any of those things. Mm-hmm. We're saying, I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm so sorry. I did that. And you didn't we want do that next time. Next time. Do you feel like you could pass it to me next time? Should we keep it higher up? Because we do a, little a magic word. Yeah. Right. What can we do? Yeah. But it's all a conversation that's mm-hmm. ongoing and it's never just that one incident. It's going to keep going. And that's the beauty. Like the, that's the perpetual, like 
pressure and challenge and also the beauty and opportunity of being yeah. in a relationship with another person that you get to practice with over and over and over. And I and love over. that the, the small group coaching conditions this idea of the practice is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think like, like culturally we think every hiccup, every conflict sucks. It's a step back. It's a step back. It's a mar on our record of good parenting or good childing or any of these things. And I think that so much of what we do at upbringing is saying, Every conflict is valuable. Every conflict is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Every needs conversation or quote unquote power struggle, that's a needs conversation, right? That's maybe unresolved is important. And it's really good that we have these because if our kids don't have these, if our kids don't have power struggles that we can try to see to in a respectful consent based way, if our kids aren't resisting, if our kids aren't saying no, if our kids aren't having big feelings about their life, that would be concerning. That could be problematic because they're going to have those feelings and, and encounter a lot of those conflicts at a certain point in their life without support, without awareness, without skills, right? It has to happen in the home. We want it to happen. It's all good. It's all valuable. Mm -hmm. Like at a certain point in my parenting pretty early on with both my kids, honestly, they were two years apart. When I would hear that scream, when I hear that crash, when I hear that hiccup, when I hear that grunt, whatever it was, Instead of the initial eye roll feeling of like, not again, which happened like hundreds of times a day, right? I had to reroute that. And it took a long time to reroute literally hearing like Mario Kart, like coins, (laughs) like casino, like I fucking won something. This is good. It just goes against all all our conditioning, all of our cultural programming, right? It's a lot. Someone said, we're struggling with following through on agreements with our seven-year-old. How do we walk the line between holding him accountable to his agreements and staying flexible? Gosh, that's the name of the game. I love that. And agreements, assuming that the seven-year-old participated in the creation of an agreement around screen time, around bedtime, around, you Mm -hmm. know, outside time, around boundaries, limits, all those things. We want our agreements with our kids to be um, mutual, collaborative, Mm -hmm. right? giving them agency, you agency, full communication, and then remembering that they're still seven and that they can't always hold fast to their agreements because of their impulses, because of their unmet needs, because of um, mm-hmm. so many other things that they just don't have the skills or yet to follow Or we make agreements with. when they're at their weakest and most vulnerable. Yeah. So they're holding the iPad and we say, okay, only three minutes. They're like, of course. Right. <laughs> yes. So I wholeheartedly when, agree that I can keep holding this iPad a lot for of, three more minutes. A lot of agreements are when the power is distributed unevenly. Yeah. And we're not both coming to the table like you would with a lot of power things and decisions and agreements mm-hmm. where both people are on equal footing. But mm-hmm. I think so much is just remembering that our, our kids can't always follow through create agreements and co-create necessarily, and then can't even necessarily follow through. Mm-hmm. And what they're showing us is what they're able to give. And so again, we can continue to hold an agreement mm-hmm. loosely, right? Mm-hmm. And then say, it doesn't always work out that way, but we're going to keep trying. Oh God. To- the agreement isn't the standard. The agreement is the goal. Yeah. I think is reframing that. Yeah. Or I think that we think like, oh God, if, if we have an agreement, our kids got to be accountable and they're signing on the dotted line in fucking stone or in gold, right? And we're like, this is it. They signed on the dotted line. So that means they should perform and mm-hmm. achieve to that level. And then, oh gosh, based on the expectation, not the agreement, our expectation of the agreement, they're failing or they're getting away with something or they are they have all the power if they're it doesn't reneging. go that way or they're reneging. And I think that so much about that situation is about our beliefs and saying, can we go into every agreement 
with that loose hold, like you said, Hannah, that flexibility saying child brain, well, like and child brain, child brain and child body. And yeah. remembering that those are two separate things that are fundamentally linked to saying child brain can say, I agree to this <laughs> screen time arrangement and child body can say, I wholeheartedly find that ridiculous mm-hmm. and I will not abide. Right. And so our child brains agree to certain things and then our child bodies cannot. I agree. I agree to things all the time that I don't end up like actually being able to fulfill. Like Mm -hmm. I agree to this gym membership, but is my ass at the gym every day? No. Mm -hmm. Right. Our kids struggle in the same way, even more than we do because of their brain development. I don't think we have to hold our kids accountable for anything. Yeah. Ever. That sounds so crazy. Like we're not dropping numbers here. Everyone's listening. <laughs> we don't have to hold our kids accountable for anything. We can say, here's what we agree. <clears throat> that doesn't seem to be working. Here's what we're seeing for you <clears throat> based on what we're seeing. What can we do? Everything is a conversation. Not like, I feel like the, <clears throat> even the word accountability is so fucking patriarchal and disgusting. Yeah. It is. But I think we're, we're so our, conditioned with our child saying, I don't want to hold to this agreement or I can't hold to this agreement, mm-hmm. it's a no. And that therefore begets the conversation of how can we reframe this agreement then? If your child are not able to meet this agreement that mm-hmm. we made around screen time, meal time, bedtime, friend time, whatever it is, yeah. then that clearly shows me that we need a new agreement. I love the idea of <clears throat> if there's some kind of agreement, can we tether in the phrase, back to the drawing board, mm-hmm. back to the drawing board. And I want, <clears throat> want our kids to say, if I agree to something, a college class, a relationship with someone, a job, I want my kid to always have tethered to that or back to the drawing board. If that's not working, a for sense me. of saying, I have permission to say, never mind. I'm mm-hmm. not so sure about this. Yeah. Or I thought cognitively I would want to participate mm-hmm. in this fraternity situation, mm-hmm. but my body's telling me, this no, is feeling uncomfortable. I'm actually saying, I don't mm-hmm. know if I like this. Mm-hmm. So, so much about this is remembering this conditioning again, that we're bringing our kids. Are into. we saying you need to be accountable <clears throat> because you gave your word because you committed to this swim lesson because you said that you would put the screen before down. you experienced it with your body, you forethought with your mind and then you experience with your body. And those are two very separate things, yeah. right? Or you can are do we it saying, one day, you can't do another are day. Are we saying life is fluid, needs are fluid. Everything should be a conversation based on what you're able to give right now or do right now or stop right now or start right now. Well, that's the world that we hope our kids can live in yeah. ultimately so is a conversation. Yes. About commitment, about intention, mm-hmm. about accountability, but also about honesty. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, this just ties me into a lot of relationships that we know in our lives that are, they made the commitment to be accountable. And they're fucking cheating or they're fucking doing whatever because there's no open and honestness about humanity mm-hmm. and about reality and about alignment needs. and needs back to needs. Again. Right. I think that's why a lot of relationships <laughs> fail because their, their, their relationship was built on accountability and commitment instead of needs and open conversation needs. back to the drawing board <clears throat> here instead of holding you fast to some agreement you made before you even lived it. Right. Yeah. And I think so much about this too, when we're talking about agreements that our kids have and that we've created with them, co-created or created ourselves Mm -hmm. is saying, instead of putting the pressure on our child to whole completely meet this need and this expectation Mm -hmm. and this agreement, 
what can we be doing or how might we be failing and supporting them in getting to that like that's the agreement. whole resist approach that's right. the whole it's saying model if, if, if we're <clears throat> putting it all on our child the obligation and the accountability on our child to do something and they're not doing it mm-hmm. then they're not at fault we are held responsible and accountable ultimately for saying if i've put an expectation or agreement on my child or they've even agreed to something and they're failing what are we doing what can we be doing to set them up for success i love that you talk point to that group family accountability or yeah. parental or they're, how they're not based, they're not waking right? up on time they're not going to their lesson they're not being nice to their sibling they're not putting the screen away when they said our children don't they're not have turning to be, the hose off our children whatever. don't have to be accountable at a certain age they shouldn't be responsible for their actions they shouldn't say they'll do something and follow through we're the ones that need to be seeing that as a note to scaffold that understanding to scaffold that responsibility to say i'm noticing you're not doing your homework like you said i'm noticing you're not turning the hose off and it's flooding the whatever like you said what can we do or at least parentally what can i be doing right to help build skills to help pick up the slack to help whatever to help build that where it's not mm-hmm. i've taken on everything and now i'm giving my child all of these things when they're like you know 6 7 8 9 mm-hmm. we want them to be doing it and i i love uh, lurk rising that you're talking about like what's that right pressure what's mm-hmm. that good pressure point where we're again having just the right amount mm-hmm. of challenge that i think someone mentioned frustration tolerance mm-hmm. where was that one someone um oh someone said my child often resists an activity if he doesn't do it perfectly and he'll get frustrated and just give up any thoughts on encouragement and not putting too much pressure on him yes and i think again we're <clears> talking <throat> about sensitive kids right mm-hmm. very sensitive kids that want to please us want to do well want mm-hmm. to succeed they've already externalized oh my gosh the world needs these things from me love i get more love more praise more attention when mm-hmm. i do well when i complete things it's just natural for them to understand mm-hmm. they're very perceptive and so if your child is resisting an activity because they already don't feel like they can do it so much about it and that frustration is less about encouragement is less about encouraging mm-hmm. them to do it and more about just accepting and reducing not just the the punitive stance that we give our kids but also the praise based stance mm-hmm. that we give them as well yeah i love that reduce encouragement to reduce pressure reduce yeah. punishment to reduce pressure right. just back off see what back happens off. and mm-hmm. say oh my gosh like again focusing on the effort focusing on their agency if they don't want to choose something that's fine reflection right? if they don't yeah. want to do those things oh cuz you don't really know mm-hmm. choosing activities if you can that the child is there's a little bit challenging right but not so challenging that they feel like they can't even go for it mm-hmm. right so figuring out if you can manage those types of things but sometimes kids will take on their own challenges that are too hard for them I'm like that's never going to go well <sighs> or where they see any challenge and they get immediately anxious to say can i complete this can i achieve can i mm-hmm. you know um perform right yeah. and so so much about it is saying i actually have to take praise completely off the table and de-emphasize my child's performance completion perfection mm-hmm. achievement in general to say that's not how you're measured as a human that's not how you're measured in relationship yeah. but I, I like that you're talking about showing that instead of saying it's okay you don't <laughs> have to do it you don't need to finish it when Just it matters it. when it matters to them right. i think showing that is important and i think too 
in those moments when our kids are showing us some anxiety, some stress, it's coming out in this like needlepoint project or in this block building thing or in this interaction with a friend or puzzle or maze, whatever or, it is. Yeah, whatever. That sounds like stress. So how can we be reducing the stress for our kid in other ways? Are we making them clean up too much? Are we making them be nice to their sibling too much? Are we overscheduling them? Are we undersleeping them? How can we be nourishing them in a lot of other ways, working on their nervous system needs before a project that might be a little bit stressful and again, mm -hmm. not praising them so much that they think that everything they endeavor to do has to have a perfect or complete or hundred percent outcome positive. Cause otherwise yeah. that, that it's like classic growth mindset theory that Carol Dweck did that says, if we focus on achievement and focus on outcome, it's actually going to reduce our kids likelihood of taking on risky things of trying new That's things fixed mindset. because they want, they'll have the fixed mindset of either I win or I lose either. I achieve or I don't. I did well either or I'm, I didn't either. I'm good at this or I'm bad at this. And so we want to break our kids of that. And we can't always do that if they're in traditional schooling, mm -hmm. but we can at least be building that growth mindset instead of that fixed mindset. When they say I'm terrible at this or I can't do this. We reflect and say, you're struggling to get, get that the way you want it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you haven't practiced as much as you'd like to get it the way you need. Right. That's so tricky. That's a tricky part. Let's look mm -hmm. at that. You're right. not wanting to dive into this. It feels complicated to you or a little overwhelming. I get that. I could do it with you. We could do it together. You could take a couple steps on your own if you want, instead of saying, blow it off or you can do it. I'm going to encourage you, buddy. You got this. Right. We're saying I'm, I'm still playing you. into the fixed mindset game. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said, I'm newly single mompreneur, full-time unschool. Suddenly I need to be less responsive and less involved than before because I need to focus and I need to earn. It's not going well. Any tips? Mm, that's so hard. I don't know. I, I think that you. if that's happening, that they said also the new level of pressure I'm under at the moment is definitely causing me to be much more reactive. Sure. Oh, sure. I totally yeah. get that. I think that that's when our something we talk about in our small group coaching, but a few more days to enroll. If you've got it, it's four conversations through the month of May coaching with a bunch of other parents that get you and us mm -hmm. building skills, building tools, diving into specific situ situations and scenarios. Yeah. Um, it's just saying, how can we work outside the moment? Mm -hmm. So we're losing it in the moment. So we're more reactive than responsive, got different priorities. Yeah, now that's okay. How can we be connecting with our kids and circle back and say, today was hard. I had to work a lot and you were needing me and that didn't go well. And I think I might've yelled a couple times when I was like, get out of my room or whatever, like to kind of get them to be like, oh dramatize it a little can bit. We over dramatize. Can we symbolic play? I have to work. Oh, but I love you, but I have to work, but I need your help. Okay. I'll try. Oh, how can we say that's stressful or we're going through a stressful time. This month has been hard. We just moved or I'm starting up work and I'm so sorry. Let's call it the elephant in the room and say, take responsibility and accountability. Parent. I wish I could give you more time. Everything that we're like, I wish I could give them more time. That, I wish I could give them that more. Says I'm not giving them enough time. That <laughs> says I'm not meeting their needs, but what are call our kids, it out? Our kids don't necessarily need more of us or what they had before. They just need us to validate and acknowledge the feelings they have around the change that's existing right now. I think that speaks to a, a greater topic of our kids resilience. And the traumas that they'll go through naturally created by us, created by society, school, friends, whatever it is, the traumas aren't what traumatize our kids. The lack of support, understanding and safety around them is what the trauma is actually built through. Yeah. So if we can be there after we've shitty parented 
after the stepdad was terrible to them, after grandma and grandpa blew it, after school shamed them. If we can normalize that and say, I'm so sorry that happened. It was hard. That was so hard. If we can create safety and love and security and shitty things that happen to our kids, that's all we really need to be doing. If that's all that's in our control, if we can't change the school, change the stepdad, change the parents, change the caregiver, change ourselves necessarily immediately, if we all we have is the circle back to say, that sucked. I'm so hard. sorry. What I'm am I so going to try this next Tell time? Tell me more. What can we do? Oh, what can we do next time? Or not jumping right to what can we do, but just saying, I want to hear. Mm-hmm. What was hard about that? Yeah. What did you want instead? Everything that we pay therapists for. Tell me more. Get it off your chest. Express. Without that having a conflict of interest as a parent. Because we created like, I did some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Damage. It, it, it really requires us to get that healthy distance to say, their, their stress, their things are maybe sometimes caused by me, mm-hmm. right? But ultimately, my responsibility isn't to prevent my child from ever struggling because mm-hmm. I have to meet my own needs, our future collective needs by building a business and being somewhere and doing something. Siblings but or, the real yeah. work that I can do is creating security and safety in their bodies, in our relationship, yeah. right? through just listening and being there. And I love saying, it. Ah, oh, that was hard. You point to that feeling of um, conflict of interest, but I think in some ways it's healing. Yeah. In some ways it's incredibly healing to apologize to our kids, to say, I blew it earlier, to be vulnerable and say, I'm so sorry. And I will try it. Not, I'm going to not make a mistake again. I will be better next time. But to say, we're all human I'm and, working I'm, on this. and I'm working on this baby. Oh, I was struggling because of some work stuff. I'm not going to go into detail, but some work stuff happened and my nervous system was disintegrated and I needed some deep breaths and I didn't get it. And I wonder, could have taken some fresh air. And then I came in and saw you and I yelled, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I think practicing saying to our kids, I'm so sorry, whether it was our fault, quote unquote, or someone else's, or it was just a crappy chemical reaction, whatever it is, it feels good. It's that, security. That practice for a kid feels good, but for us is healing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not something that we felt necessarily growing up saying, I'm sorry, or saying that was bad, felt bad. It was a sign of weakness. It was a sign it of was, culpability. It was a sign of punishment. It was steeped in negativity and, and punishment shame. as a kid. And I think that part of this healing journey with our kids in owning up to shitty situations, ones that we've caused or not, is saying we can heal through those, not just the moment that we may or may not have participated in, but our childhood too. And saying, I can say, I'm sorry. I can say I was wrong. I can say, I don't know. I can say I need help and that be okay. And that feel light and that be all right. That I'm still a whole person, that my child is still wonderful and whole, Mm -hmm. that we're still in relationship despite what happened. Right. It's not all or nothing. Right. Marcy said, any suggestions on where to turn when it's our own stressors that we need to figure out? Mom targeted therapists, self-healing podcasts. Mm. I'm sure there are many. We refer a lot of our friends to Jen Lumenlin's Your Parenting Mojo. She's a colleague of ours who does a Taming Your Triggers course a couple times a year. And it's something that we talk about in our small group coaching too. Mm. It's a dual project of interacting with our children in a different way. But yes, only as we're 
working on our own shit. Mm-hmm. Mom is in control uh, is a podcast and Instagram account that talks about like the mom healing journey mm-hmm. and the rage and those types of things. There are a lot of other folks that we'll all think about and maybe we can put in the show notes mm-hmm. or in our, um, our caption um, here on Instagram. But that's such a great question because I love it, Marcy, that you bring up that idea of saying mm-hmm. we can't give to our kids what we don't have ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't offer our kids and model for things that we can't do yet, right? Mm-hmm. We can't co-regulate if we can't self-regulate. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of, again, this parenting work begins in reparenting ourselves. And that's what the whole show up and grow up is about is saying when we show up in these challenges and see these these issues with our kids is not as they're bad or are bad or like mm-hmm. it's pathological or they need a diagnosis or anything necessarily going on, but just saying, Oh my gosh, this is an opportunity to help them grow. And it's an opportunity for us to grow too. Mm-hmm. That's where the beauty is. That's where the challenges lie, but where the opportunity is for sure. Yeah. And I love that you're bringing up mom targeted therapists mm-hmm. or like put that yeah. out to your people on Facebook, on your friend group, yeah. say who has a therapist who, deals with mm-hmm. mom parenting stuff. Yeah. Alison Prine from mm-hmm. Weaving Motherhood is mm-hmm. a wonderful um, therapist who we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put her in the show notes also that she works specifically with, with parents and I mean, mm-hmm. mothers and, and, and that, that healing journey for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if we keep talking, we'll come up with so mm-hmm. many others. So we'll think on it and we'll get back. Yeah. To someone sure. said, do you two personally lead the workshop? Yes. So show up and grow up uh, small group coaching last little pitch because it begins on Monday, May 9th. So we've got a couple more days to sign up. So it's basically us four times through the month of May for two hours each time. And then eight other families who hop on a zoom call and we talk about the hardest shit with our kids, how we can be working on our belief on our role and our impact with our kids. How can we be slowing down these moments of conflict? through flipping our beliefs and leaning in through a different way. Right. And each um, session is kind of targeting a specific area Mm -hmm. or problem point. So we've kind of reached this patterning based on what everyone brings in Mm -hmm. and tells us um, in their intake form. But we've been kind of going with transitions where we talk about transition resistance and the challenges around that. The first session, second session has mostly been most times Mm -hmm. physical and verbal aggression, how Mm -hmm. to deal with that, how to show up, how to flip those beliefs, whether it's eye rolling or or you mean know, words, words, whatever, or whining or hitting or throwing. And then the third one is about our kids' bodies and consent around their hygiene, around their mealtime, around their bedtime, mm-hmm. around their dressing and bathing, all of those areas. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is usually what happened, like what else is there? So mm-hmm. parenting in the wild, how do we connect with other caregivers, schools, how to set boundaries, limits, mm-hmm. um, working with partners who may not be on the same uh, wavelength. Oh, all this stuff. Lark Rising said 10 out of 10 recommend the group coaching. Marcy said same, highly recommend joining the small group. It was excellent. We miss you, you ladies. Miss you. Yeah. It was really fun. I mean, we, we just love and grow to just love everybody who's in there and mm-hmm. just feel such a kinship to everyone. And I know they feel that about them, one another and mm-hmm. everybody in the groups as well. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool, unique thing. Yeah. yeah. We're excited. Yeah. It's a big age range too. Like often like yeah. two to 12, one to 14. We've had a couple groups, like yeah. really cool range. Um, we also have flexible payment plans. So contact us if that's something that you would be needing. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we have that on the site enough, but all right, everybody. Thanks for tonight. Thanks for being here. You're doing an amazing job. Just thinking about this, mm-hmm. talking about this, let alone even working on it, right? Mm-hmm. With your kids, with your partners, with other people. 
is such a, a, a beautiful, radical uh, change to mm-hmm. this inherited legacy we're all given, mm-hmm. right? And saying we can raise a different generation. We can become different people in relationship, in a different family, in a different community. This, mm-hmm. this is incredible work that we're doing for us, for our kids, for our families, for our communities, and for that greater, greater social change that we talk about. Yeah. So it feels like a lot. It feels like a lot of effort often when we're beginning, <laughs> but really, like I love hearing people say, "The more I'm practicing, the easier it gets." Like the the more I'm practicing, the easier the hard things that used to feel hard feel. They just feel easier. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all these little notes. Mm-hmm. Thanks for taking the time to answer questions. Thank you. I have a lump in my throat. It's giving me so much hope. Absolutely. Thank you. So helpful. Always at the right time with the right love and wisdom. We're Thank here. you for this. We're all in this together. We're all growing up together. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Yeah. We'll all see right. you all soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.